Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here today with author Kathy Crafty. Now, she has not paid to be promoted on today's show. I picked up her book, and it's available on Amazon or Cross River Media. And it it the title intrigued me because this was something that I had in not only my marriage that ended in divorce after 10 years, but also I found I struggled with this in subsequent relationships. The the book is called Marriage Conversation from Coexisting to Cherished. And I think everybody listening today can identify with the feeling of going, we need to have this conversation. I don't want to have this conversation. And I'm not sure how the conversation would go. And I went through a lot of therapy to save my marriage, which didn't work. And some of the communication skills I learned, Kathy, were too little too late. Yeah, that's exactly how Dave and I felt. Like we were we were convinced it was us. Like somehow we were we were just bad people or or we or left defective. each other. Yeah, we just couldn't seem to figure out how to talk to each other. And what was so interesting is when we began to talk a little more openly and ask our friends, you know, here's what we're struggling with, lo and behold, I mean, this is pretty much a universal challenge. Yes. Um, you do hear married people who've been married a long time say, oh, yeah, marriage is so hard, but they never they never give you more. You know, I mean, right. why like, is it hard? What makes it hard? And, you know, how do you keep going when it's hard? Like those are some pretty obvious questions. Exactly. So once Dave and I kind of got through that difficult transition that we needed to make of going from not being able to communicate very well to really working at great communication skills. Once we made some progress there, we just wanted to write it down. And one thing that Sandra, one thing that happened for me is I have these three fabulous grown kids. And before they were married, I began collecting all these stories about marriage. I really wanted to give them great foundational principles and I was, I'm always afraid I'm going to die of a heart attack any minute. Sure, right. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to pass that wisdom on. Yeah. So, so really I was just collecting all these great stories and, and I was, a, I'm, I have been a writer, a columnist in the newspaper. And so I had all these great columns that related to marriage and I pulled them for the children and my, my adult kids and made them each a copy. And they kept asking me, 
to recopy it for their friends. And it was like $40 a piece to recopy these <laughs> books. So, and they were just like spiral notebooks. So that's what we just thought, David, I thought, okay, these are really personal stories. Many of them are from my mom, but we need to find a publisher who gets what we're trying to accomplish here because we can't afford to keep Xeroxing it. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and for those of us like me, who my mom has passed away and my dad, I love him, you know, but he's not exactly one to, he'll tell you any sports score, but he's not going to be able to tell you how he feels about anything other than maybe the Super Bowl win. So <laughs> when you have that and you're a, a, an adult child without much direction, you tend to look at your parents' marriage and go, well, this worked and this didn't, but on the, this didn't, it's like, oh, well, <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah. And you know, the other thing is I'm in my sixties and the whole generation ahead of me, there were so many divorces. It's, it's pretty rare that you had both your parents stayed married to each other and both my parents stayed married to each other. So there are so many people out there that really went into marriage thinking, man, I got to do something different, but I, I don't know what that looks like. Right. And so for our kids, especially, our, I mean, this is, terrible to say really Sandra but so much of what I wrote is more of a confession because they were there when we were struggling that was the first 20 years of our marriage Mm -hmm. so I really wanted them to have the second half in in case I died I just wanted them to understand this was why it was hard and here's what we did that we learned to do differently and this is why it's better now and So nobody's perfect. We're still sinners. We still get mad at each other. But I mean, like there's a whole chapter on how to change an argument back into a conversation in this book. Well, and I love what you said about like coexisting because, you know, before my marriage really took a nosedive, um, you know, the courtship and everything was great. And then once, once we got married, I mean, there, like a week or two after we got married, my ex-husband took off and, you know, went on some road trip. Then he's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be that. He's gone for like two months because he had accomplished getting married. And that was the rest of the investment for the whole marriage. And I'm not saying that it was all his fault, but I kept trying to interject things in the marriage. And I went to counseling. I read all these books and, you know, some marriages just you can't put enough air in that flat tire like you know and I think that's that's what I you know you know kind of where I got it it did help too that he was already moved in with someone else by the time I filed for divorce so but I mean that's really common today people rather than fixing their marriages swap them in for a new partner and one of the things that my therapist said to me after my divorce Kathy was do not date for a whole year. Kathy, as we talk about these things, you know, it's a really good time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Talkspace. And Talkspace is so great, you guys. You have to use it. And, you know, last year was rough on everyone, from politics to the pandemic. The entire world was affected in some way or another. And that's why it's time for everyone to turn a corner, to move forward from the things holding us back, and to take the lessons we learned in 2020 and apply them to our lives from now on. 
Turn a corner with therapy, and the sooner you start, the further you'll go. Now, Talkspace lets you send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform 24-7. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist, and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light. Now, Talkspace is great because it's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy, And instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to that therapist 24-7 and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. And Talkspace is secure and private. It uses the latest end-to-end bank grade encryption technology to store client information and complies with the latest HIPAA regulations. Now, as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace to match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com and make sure you use the code Motherhood Talk and get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Motherhood Talk and Talkspace.com. Now you guys know, you know, before I thanked today's sponsor, which is Talkspace, I was talking about the therapist at the end of my marriage was like, you know, you have to wait a year to, to have a relationship again. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to. I was so lonely only in my marriage. And these are, you know, things that are really important to me. I want a relationship. And she's like, yeah, you need to heal. And one of the things is looking at your books that you've written. You know, you wrote a book about the well, you've got this book about marriage conversations. You have a third one too. What's the third one? The third one is a book that's still a manuscript, but it's finished. And it's with our agent, uh, our daughter, my daughter and I wrote one on character qualities and how to, how to recognize in your children when they're messing up, you know, understanding that God designed that character quality to be under the dominion and beauty of his Holy Spirit. And so that the character, you know, how to recognize good character qualities in your kids when they're really misbehaving. Well, and that can be true of a spouse too. You know, that's, oh, the, yeah, about, sure you know, that's the point of your relationship books. They might have be, you know, like your marriage conversation book might have been written to ease a conversation between a husband and a spouse. But I'll tell you, it also works between a, a daughter and her father who's, you know, as a caregiver, I'm his caregiver, or it eases yeah. it for my almost adult teenage son or my partner or people at work like we all talk so these things recognizing qualities recognizing and having these conversations I think the reason that it's so difficult in a marriage or with a love partner there's always that threat of the loss of love yeah rejection's a big one I do cover quite a bit of that in there because I think that's one of the greatest forms of suffering because we're really designed to have this beautiful kind of intimacy of not only physical, but emotional and spiritual as well. And I think, I think there's a whole generation of men that miss that information in some ways. And so I have a lot of compassion for your ex-husband and his response that you shared about him leaving immediately. I mean, he just didn't have any framework for the information he needed. And, and so I do address that in the book. Like, what do you do when your husband has so much baggage? You don't know what to do with it all. Or you do, I do. 
Um, and, and so that's, those are really good things to think about because they make a difference. I was just kind of glancing at some of the top, like the different paragraph, um, not paragraph, but the different subtitles, like the, the chapter, chapter titles. <laughs> One of them in here is why is fellowship the best foreplay? I mean, people don't realize that is for women, especially that's the best foreplay. Well, you're not going to hear anybody. No man is going to hear that. Where's he going to hear that? Right. If, if we don't talk about it at church, there's no other place he's going to hear that for sure. So, so these are the kind of topics, but I'll tell you what I think. Well, is I, I'm going to just jump in here really quick. Cause yeah, I was yeah, yeah. at my, my uh, Jewish mother-in-law or ex-mother-in-law who I still totally love dearly. And she's still a big <laughs> part of my life. She told me, she's like, yeah, she's like, if, if he wants to have make love on Saturday, then he better buy you flowers on Tuesday. And I thought, you know, that was so funny, like her old fashioned way of looking at it. But then I'm like, she's right. Like we don't, you know, like we're like old cars. We take a long time to start up. And if you want to have that intimacy, you've got to plant that seed, you know, days in advance. Yeah. And I think as women, we've kind of failed to educate the men in our lives in some ways. And so one of the things that I found was I love David, but we weren't communicating at all. And so in the interim, while we develop better skills in communicating, how was I supposed to hang on by my fingernails? Right. And, and I think there's a big difference in marriages. And I, I was so glad you brought that point up. And I, this is a direct quote from the book. Some marriages are not worth saving. And it mm. is so important to know the difference when you're hanging in there in a codependent way with somebody who is never going to deal with their own baggage. Right. I mean, how can we predict the future? But, but there are moments when you are in so much danger, you've got to get out of that marriage. Right. And as Christian people, we shouldn't be judging that because we don't know what is no. happening backstage. No. We and if know. you looked at my marriage from the public view, you saw two people smiling in photos. You saw a new baby, another new baby. You know, what you didn't see under there was a very, very different story. And in the judgment of things, my best advice, I know this is about your book, but I'm just going to give my best advice. <laughs> When I exhausted all other options, I had been to enough therapists to tell me yeah. the same thing. I had had surveyed family and friends going, you know, what could you do in this situation? And when it became clear to me, and my kids were three months old and two and a half year olds at mm. the time, mm. it became clear to me that there was nothing else I could do. So I had to make the decision going is this the the environment that I want to raise the kids in? Is this the way I want to live my next 20 years? Or do I make the change? So I didn't make the change lightly, Kathy. And the other thing about making a change like this, it's a big monumental thing. I went to a lawyer Mm. first when I was, was pregnant with my second child and I was actively pregnant. And I'm like, I botched it. I went back six months later, went, went to a different attorney and filed again. So it was a lot of false starts for me. But when I was at peace, there were no more books to read. There were no more questions to ask. There was no more therapy to be had. I got it in my head that this was enough. And I think that gave me peace of mind to move forward. And when you've exhausted all those things, that also means having the tough conversations. And that's what your book really shines in. If it's a last ditch to save your marriage, you've got to have the tough conversations. 
Yeah, I, I think that's so true. I really wrote for what I think of as three different groups of women. Women who are in a marriage they know is malfunctioning, but they really want to make it better. Right. And maybe overall, it's great. I used to tell David all the time, we have this big juicy red apple with one rotten spot and we just have to cut out the one rotten spot and the rest of the apple's healthy and delicious and nutritious for us. So I think a lot of women feel that way about their marriages. Yes, I love my marriage, but there's this one spot that is making me crazy. And that was for us, that was recurring arguments. We didn't know how to have a real conversation. So then... um, then there's also women who are in very dangerous situations and they've been told to hang in there because maybe things will change. Mm-hmm. And I would say there's a second, a third group of women trying to figure out which category they're in. Right. It, because one of the questions yeah. that I asked myself a lot was, is yelling and screaming and temper tantrums and throwing. Now they weren't thrown at me. But they're still, you know, kind of violent, you know, argumentative, insulting, you know, things like that. Is that enough to dissolve a marriage? Is that enough to break up a family? Is that enough to make your kids go back and forth between two households? You know, that was a really hard decision for me because, you know, the, the physical violence didn't happen to me till after the marriage was over and the divorce was final for years. So it's not, you know, your, your filing for divorce doesn't necessarily end everything perfectly. It opens up another can of worms. So, and the conversation skills need to happen, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're living together, co-parenting. And if you can't have that conversation with the other person, because they're not willing that's a big sign that you're kind of filling up air in a flat tire that's just going to keep leaking air. Yeah. And and one of the titles, one of the chapters is called how to negotiate like an oil tycoon. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of more of that that as women we need to do. And, And in the book, I just, I just, I mean, I just have to laugh. David is always going to be a better negotiator than me. Sure. But I have learned some skills, girlfriend, and I share them in the book. So even if your husband is a better negotiator, you can still, you can still negotiate for the things that will make you both happy because you both need to be happy. The other thing that I want to, I don't want to miss a chance to mention this, Sandra, because I think it really applies and especially given the history that you shared, um, one thing I do almost immediately is define the way Jesus defined marriage. Like I clarify that for people. There are a lot of different definitions of marriage floating around out there, but uh, I think it's really important. And, and actually, if you don't mind, I just read this. Fortunately, God is on our side in this essential arena of sparking up the chemistry in marriage. How great is that? Therefore, let's lay a groundwork of simple foundational truths so we are armed for success. And we'll start with how God defines marriage. I got to tell you, the first time somebody asked me that, I thought, I don't know. Is it in Leviticus? I mean, I just didn't know. And I think, well, if it's if I don't know it in the Bible, it's probably in Leviticus. (laughs) I have searched scriptures. I, I mean, I became a Christian out of pure desperation. And I needed to know what was in the Bible. So I'm not a, a person who doesn't know. But it, but that question really befuddled me. And so I finally began to analyze that information. And one thing I'm convinced of is if, you're, if either spouse 
starts a new relationship with through sexual intercourse, they've essentially started a new marriage. And I think if we would teach that in the churches, it would really free people up to not carry around guilt that isn't theirs. Right. I mean, mine, I didn't think that was a valid reason because everybody kept saying, don't throw the baby out with the Mm bathwater. You know, you've got a, you've got a child. And we did go on to have one other child subsequently, but I will tell you from being somebody who believed that they were going to be married for life, that that violation, that affair, I don't know how other people get over it because truth be told, I don't think I ever got over the first one. So when the second one happened, it was much easier to pull the trigger on the marriage because I had engineered forgiveness as how I knew it to be. But if I really dig down deep and go, I've never really truly um, gotten over that first violation. Like that first violation broke, in my mind, broke the marriage in a way that couldn't be fixed. And I went from being a wife to coexisting in the marriage. And again, I don't, some people can get over it. Some people can move on. Some people can, I can say that I've forgiven him because I don't hold him accountable anymore. I don't think about it. I don't, I don't punish myself or hold myself harmful in any way, but it broke something that I didn't know how to get fixed and three or four different therapists, marriage counseling, never fixed that in my mind. So I think biblically speaking, there's something to that. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and really the, the book, the, the, the first book that came out just a month or two ago, the well, the art of drawing out authentic conversation in that book, I take John four and analyze the 40 different ways that Jesus communicated with the woman at the well he took her from isolated to influential like her whole community was changed because of her mm-hmm. but he does not back up i mean he he says go get your husband and she says you know basically he tells her you're right i mean she admits it and he, and she, he, he says yeah you're right you you have five husbands the one you're with now is not your husband so as women, I used to react to that in a very strong way, like just want to hide with shame because of my own background. And now after analyzing that for the book, especially, I'm so convinced that Jesus gave her freedom by being so specific. And I think he held accountable, not just her, but the men that had wronged her possibly. So we'll never know because in the gracious way that she told the story to the disciples and then they wrote it down, she left out a lot of the details. Like she could have said, well, uh, Jesus exonerated me. Right. Or, or he could have gone through and said, my first husband was, you know, died of typhoid. My second husband was killed in battle. My third husband disappeared somewhere. My fourth husband had a heart attack. Like, you know, they yeah. could have been given all that information and we weren't. So it's, it's, it's yeah. up to us to go, who were those people and what was she doing? What were their stories? Yeah. And so I, I just throw that out there because I think as women, sometimes we put such a burden on ourselves. But what I see is Jesus really spoke factually to things. And in the factual speaking of it, he released her and us. He releases us too from the burden that we carry around. And so I just think it's really important. And that this is one reason I wrote the books for my own children. And then because they were so 
enthusiastic about what I'd shared, especially my mom's story, Sandra. Oh my goodness. My mother, before she died, we together sat on the end of her bed just a few months before she died about, I don't know, it's been about three years ago now. And we went over every story that she had in that book and and she even changed some of the details, but I, every time I read it, I cry. And she was so tender with what she was willing to share in public like that. Cause she knew what I'd written for my children, but then she was also aware that we were going to, I think I may have even had a publisher before she died. I can't remember, but anyway, she knew that the goal was to get the, the manuscript published. And so she went over every detail with me and I tell you, she was so transparent and authentic herself. And, and so I think for me, that's the goal. We, we just wanted to strengthen other women. We want them to know, like I tell the story of my mother uh, always taking the keys from my dad. Like she never said, no, Charlie, you're an alcoholic. You, you, you're drinking. I'm not gonna let you drive us home. She just established an etiquette and she would not let him, you know, she wouldn't let him drive. And she was really nice about it. Right. But what's interesting to me is I think if he had pushed her, she probably would have gotten us a taxi and the kids and her. I don't think she would have ever gotten in a car where he was driving and drinking. This was years ago in the 1960s. So mother was just kind of an amazing person in that way. She had so much, she was a formidable woman. And she made a great marriage with my dad, one that um, is so sweet. They, they had so much unity and so much tenderness there at the end. And especially the last moments when my dad had some dementia and he became very, just very tender with her and vice versa. And they spent every waking moment together. And, and really when he died, Dave and I said, we want a marriage like that and we better get working on it. <laughs> We got a little work to do out that way. You know, most marriages start out with a lot of tenderness or at least the courtship part starts out with that. And then, you know, and everybody can recognize this who has kids, you know, your, your child raising years are a challenge. You know, that, that pokes a bunch of holes and anywhere you have, like, I always figured like kids are like the fingers in the dike, but the opposite, like the more kids you have, the more holes it pokes. (laughs) So true. Yeah, that's like one of my friends told me one time he thought it was bait and switch the way women got so dressed up for every date when they were dating. And then after they were married, they didn't wear makeup anymore. And of course, I was really convicted by that because I seldom wear makeup. But I said to him, I said, well, what is what about men? Like my husband never watched TV the whole time we were dating. I had no idea he liked TV. And then when we got married, the first thing he did was go buy TV and I almost fainted. So, uh, yeah, courtship. And I think, I think that's one reason I wanted these books out when I did, I wanted my girls to have a better understanding of what they were getting into. And I wanted my son to know, this is how women think about it. Even as a man, if you don't quite understand it, at least I wanted him to be familiar with the perspective. Uh, Do I have time to share one thing? I think this is so funny. So, so I'm writing to women, right, Sandra? And I wasn't expecting this, but I have a number of friends that I, that have quite a bit of writing uh, background. And I wanted, I wanted those friends to read the book and give me input. So they did. Well, some of them were men. And so I kept hearing from men, oh, it's the funniest book. I think it's the funniest book I've ever read. Well, of course, I'm thinking they've never read any books on marriage at all. It's probably the only one they've ever read. (laughs) 
interesting to me. A number of people told me they read it with their, like their wives, they passed it back and forth and read it to each other. So now if you want to have a powerful conversation, take a book like this one and pass it back and forth and read it out loud to each other. That's amazing. Like, I can't wait to do that with David again. He's, he's read many pieces of it. I've read him all the stories about him, Uh, but I can't wait to pass it back and forth. I think that's going to be really fun. Well, yeah, because it, it's a very neutral way to introduce very hot topics. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because one of my, you know, I I hate to call them boyfriends because that sounds so ridiculous when you're over the age of 40, but he said to me, Sam, you and I got to work on our communication. And I said, uh, okay. And then we both kind of sat there, looked at each other and laughed. Like, what does that even mean? And <laughs> he then read the, the love languages book, the five love languages. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's like, here, take the, take the test. And he goes, I think I know who you are. He goes, but I don't think you know who I am. And I'm thinking, okay, it's on soldier. And so I did it and I was wrong. Oh, wow. And you know, I've known this person 25 years and it's like, He's like, yeah, everybody just does this. My parents, my sisters, you know, I kind of went along with the flow and he's like, but the real me wants this. And when wow. you say things like he was not words of affirmation, but that was a big thing of what his friends, his family, everybody's doing. He goes, I cringe inside. He goes, what I'd rather have is a hug and, and not a hug that leads to sex, but just a hug versus words of affirmation. And I think I could have gone 25 years friendship with this person and never figured that out. So like having those conversations, I think a book is a really great way or, you know, a Cosmo kind of quiz, you know, like those little quiz things that they have to get the conversation going so that it doesn't sound like you're complaining, criticizing or judging. Yeah. And I, speaking of conversations, you, you have been such a good friend to me throughout this whole writing process. I really, I just think your listening friends need to know what an encouragement you are and how much of your heart you've read the book already sure, many times. And, and I just, I just want people to know how much I appreciate you and your input. You always have so much wisdom, Sandra, and you're such an encouraging friend. I, I know this book would not exist if it weren't for our friendship. So Thank I just you. really want to know that about you. Thank you. Well, and I can verify that it's got great information and really makes a big difference with, um, you know, just with, with, with the people around you. And, you know, when you look at these marriage books, Kathy, and I look at you're still married, you know, I'm always surprised sometimes when people have marriage books and they're not married or they're divorced or people have (laughs) books about raising children. Like this was my favorite one, a book about, you know, I did this whole interview with this lady. And then I said, I found out like you only have one child. You have a nanny, a housekeeper and a home teacher. Like you homeschool this kid. She has her own (laughs) private teacher. Like, and off the air, I didn't mean to be rude, but I'm like, what parenting do you do? Like, you know, you're on a book tour, you're traveling all over the world. Your kids left home with the nanny tutor and the, 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 you know, the, the housekeeper. And I, 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 I want to read books for people who've done it and then come out the other side. And can you really say that you've come out the other side with Dave? 
Yes. And that's not to say we don't still have arguments sometimes. But when we do now, I think in some ways it's worse because it didn't happen very often. And so whenever it happens, I get real panicky, like, oh, no, we're falling back into our bad, our bad habits, you know, but not really, because now we know how to get into a better conversation place. So and also we just work. uh, I don't know if work is the right word, but we just make up. We're very intentional about cherishing each other. Um, and th- so that's really made a difference for us. And, and, but one thing I share in the, like one thing I want people to know, this book is not about how to do it yourself. Like this is a book about how I messed up and here's what I learned from it. And if you want some good ideas, here are some things that work for us, like tons and tons of great ideas. Cause remember I was originally writing it for my children. So I don't really hold anything back. I don't, I don't think anybody will feel preached at. I think they'll just go, okay, this woman gets it. She's, she's been in the trenches and still is sometimes. How long um, have you guys been married? We've been married 37 years. It's so funny that we had to fill some paperwork out the other day and it called for our, our wedding anniversary. And both of us were like, we don't ever know. We have it on a plate in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I think it's 37 years. It may be 38. I don't know. Right. Um, but I mean, but that's the way it should be. Like, it shouldn't feel like every year is a, 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 a trudge or a drudgery or, no. and now that, that's not to be, to, 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 to like, let's, let's be honest. Not every day in marriage is going to be hearts and flowers and unicorns. And there's going to be times when you're really tired. If somebody gets sick, if you have a child, like all these are huge, huge stressors on a marriage, a good one. So, you know, I think it's a lot about the tools and techniques, but I think it's also about the two willing to flex. Yeah. I think for me, I had, I had submerged myself so much in my family and, and knowing what everybody else needed that I kind of lost track of who I am. Sure. And at about the 20 year mark, I reemerged and I was not happy. <laughs> That's like every woman. Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't know how common that was. I thought I was being a bad Christian, but what it taught me, what reemerging taught me was my husband really liked that bold kind of girl that was, had ambitions and ideas and dreams and, wasn't afraid to try new things and adventurous. So all that kind of came out after I quit. Um, So anyway, in the book, I go into some detail about how you can create your own personal etiquette so that, and I saw my mother do this really beautifully so that in the places where you don't agree or don't have, you, you know, every two people are going to have different values in some area. And sometimes that can be an extreme thing in a marriage. And so how to have an etiquette, that allows you to stay true to your own personal values and leaves room for his. Right. Um, that's, that's, uh, that was two chapters. <laughs> that's well, not no. easy. And if you have a really dominant partner, like I did, you can just feel like, I felt like I just got absorbed. Like when I yeah. look back at who I was, I was like this like paper cardboard version. You could fold up in an envelope and mail like that flat Stanley character. Yeah. You know, because I had lost all the dimensions of me because there wasn't room for me in my own marriage. There was room for a dominant partner. And I'm not saying this is all his fault. You know, I should have stood up for myself more. I should have staked my ground, you know, claimed my space. But 
I didn't want to, and it was too tiring. Like there's some battles you want to fight and there's some battles that you go like the flat tire or my one friend, Lisa came and has a great thing about some marriages. Some marriages are a bowl with a hole, no matter how much you pour Um. into them. It just drains right out. And I think anybody who's in a marriage with a bowl with a hole knows you got to patch the hole. And if you can't patch the hole, then it's time to move on. You know, I did an interview recently with a man named Jack Sharp, and he's with Bethlehem Books. They re-resurrect classic children's books, Bethlehem Books. And he mentioned a whole different way of looking at marriage than I have heard anywhere else And that's in a podcast. I don't think I even have a title for that one yet, but his name is Jack Sharp. And he talked about how men need to be thinking and trained and meditating on how they can develop the potential of their wife. Like she is a treasure that needs to be revealed, that is hidden. And so sometimes as wives, I think we get discouraged because we're so submerged in our marriage, in our families, in serving everyone else. And then there's that added guilt, like I'm not being myself, when really I believe it is God's role for the husband to display and to to uh, appreciate and cherish his wife's potential and to, to value that and to seek it and search for it. So I really appreciated what Jack said. I'm, I'm eager for that to be out there on the airwaves. I hope some other people will pick up that theme and keep running with it. Well, I can validate that just from, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not necessarily the, the husband, you know, um, position, but, you know, when I was in my marriage, I always kept my gifts low and quiet Mm -hmm. because I didn't want, you know, to ruffle feathers. My ex-husband was not one that was, could well take being in his mind beaten at something, or I was better Mm -hmm. than something. And there was a lot of discouragement of my own gifts. And I allowed that. I take full responsibility for that. But when I moved my father in after my mother died, and all of a sudden there became a, this, this kind of encouraging influence in my household. And then I, you know, started hanging around with my 25-year-long best male friend, who's also very encouraging. And it was more of, well, what are you going to do now, Stan? Like, what are you going to create? What are you going to write? Like, you have three radio shows. You should have a four because you love talking about this. And this would allow you to talk to experts. (laughs) And it was shocking to me, too, that then my boys followed suit of encouraging mom to do and be her best. And that was the point, Kathy, that I realized that I had made the right decision to end that marriage because when I came out, like I asked you, like came out the other side, you know, once all the drama had died, once all the finances are set and everybody's kind of doing their groove, you look back and go, I was a shadow of my current self. And that wouldn't serve anyone, not me, not my husband and not my children. Mm. And it wasn't my walk. That wasn't the walk that I was supposed to walk this life. I wasn't supposed to walk in the shadow of someone else all the time. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a real, a real tendency probably in the church in the years past to make marriage kind of one size fits all. Yes. And I, one thing, I mean, there's a lot of influences now that I just wonder, oh my goodness, but 
one thing that I think has happened in for, for the generation right behind me, especially, they've just done a great job of rethinking what their values are and what their perspective is on marriage and what it needs to look like. And I, I think it's really interesting because some of the things that they say make older generations uncomfortable. And yet when I was looking through, for instance, John four and studying the woman at the well and her five marriages, five husbands, et cetera. Um, one thing that became very clear to me is some of this younger generation's perspective on marriage is actually closer to what Jesus said than what has been traditionally taught. And, and I, I think that's the other reason, big reason for this marriage book. I really wanted to give people a chance to explore uh, is this tradition that's been taught to us that's false or what did Jesus actually say and what did he actually mean by that? And, and so we could really examine that in a way that would free us to understand the decisions we're making, um, whether it's to stay married and, and be, because for instance, Jesus really didn't give the Pharisees who were the legal scholars of the day and the religious scholars, he really did not give them the domain of marriage. He specifically said, clarified that is God's domain. And here's how God initiates marriage. And so that must have really astounded those scholars. They were smart men. And I'm sure they understood that he was not supporting their claim to be the judge and jury or the authorities on what was marriage. Anyway, I, I think for us, it's really important to re-examine that again and make sure we understand it really well. In an era of, of cohabitation, an era of, of multiple marriages being common and blended families being common, you know, no judgment on all of this, but the overriding question that I have, and I still have, Kathy, you and I have been friends a long time. The question yeah. I still have is, why would I ever get married? Like my marriage was so bad. I'm, I, I, I realized that the, it's not worth the paper it was written on. It was a big, expensive mess to detangle. And I'm not planning to have more children. So what would you say to me, Kathy, when I say to you, why would I ever get married again? Wow, that is a great question. And, and I think it's so personal that I would hesitate to say anything, honestly, I will tell you in the in the book, I closed that chapter by say, you know, this surprised me. I researched the history of marriage because I felt like I and probably yeah. you told me I probably had to, honestly. Probably That's I probably did. That sounds like me. <laughs> Don't get you caught guys, on guard in an interview, Kathy. You gotta know this. <laughs> when we started talking to, when you became my friend and we started talking about some of this, you gave me so many homework assignments. And you probably told me, Kathy, you need to know the history of marriage. So anyway, I did researched that for whatever reason. I don't even remember now. Um, but one thing that surprised me that I didn't expect was this is actually the very best era to be married. And so what I tell my girlfriends is if you're single at my age and, you know, or anytime after 40, you've gotten there the hard way. You've either made a choice to be, you know, pursue a career and forsake marriage, or you've ended it married you've been married and it's ended in divorce or death and so you paid a high price for your autonomy and I would just say that that's a perfectly legitimate decision and as Christians we should not be judging each other 
But if you have reached that point in life and not married and you choose to marry again, that's also your choice. God gives us so much room in our, by giving us a free will. So that's a whole chapter in the book, why free will matters and why it's important to respect it in other people. But, but I would just say, if you, anybody that is thinking about getting married, it is a great time to be married as women. We have so much more equal status in ways that are really kind of surprising to me. Like I didn't realize I got my first credit card only a couple years after it became legal. Like I didn't have to get my dad's signature or a husband's signature, but if I had applied just three years earlier, I would have had to had either a husband or a father's signature as a woman. I could not get a credit card of that in the 1970s without it. So think about what that means. Can you imagine as women now, I mean, you can have your own bank accounts, you can have your own income, you can have your own job. Those are all things that are not necessarily bad for marriage. They're actually great for marriage in many ways. It's, it's really level the playing field so that people can come together in, in a partnership that's marriage, an intimate, life-affirming um, companionship commitment for a lifetime you can come into that with really on really good solid ground in the era that we live in so i don't think it's a i don't think it's a bad time to be married i think it's the very best time in history for women to be married and and actually i go into this in more detail in the book but it's also the best time for men to be married too by the way which they may not agree with that because maybe they don't think you're going to let them play, watch the Super Bowl in the den with all their guy friends or whatever. But <laughs> the truth is it's a great time for men to be married. And I'll just, I'll just let that be a teaser. They can read the book if they want to know why, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Kathy. I mean, I think this gives a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. And so I encourage everybody to get your own copy of Marriage Conversation from Coexisting to Cherished. And you can find this at Amazon or you can go to the Cross River Media publishing site and get your copy. I know you guys will enjoy reading it to each other and having these conversations, not only with your spouse, but with your girlfriends, because they are super fun. I want to thank Kathy Crappy for being my guest today. You can find out more about her at Kathy, that's spelled C-A-T-H-Y. Crappy is spelled K-R-A-F-V-E, that's K-R-A-F-V-E. And Kathy, thank you for being my guest today. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.